We're going to pick up uh, where we do every week as we're going through the Hall of Faith, and uh, we're going to take a look at the first three verses. Actually, I'm going to read all the way through just so we can refresh our memory on some of these folks whose lives have impacted us. And, and as we start going through some of these names, just recall the study and some of the things the Lord impressed upon your heart with each of these, these uh, folks who have a testimony. I'm going to stop at verse 3 to remind you of the illustration, and then we'll continue through with the names. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So we'll stop there, and you remember, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And the illustration, and it's, it, you're going to own it, and you're going to be able to share it, you're walking along in a desert, you're dying of thirst, you come across um, a, a, a cabin that's dilapidated, an old rusty pump, and as you get to the pump, you're dying of thirst, you try to work it, no water comes out, but you see a sign on a string hanging on the pump. In your delirium, you read the sign, and it says, listen, there's a jar of water underneath the white rock. Please pay attention and, and follow the instructions. The water, this pump works, and it'll provide plenty of water. What, what you need to do is take half the water, loosen the leather straps, and with the other, you, you prime the pump. It will provide plenty of water. When you're finished drinking your fill, refill the, the canister and put the jar back under the white rock. And then we'll also add in the illustration and put your name as a testimony for those who would come after you to be able to realize that this does work. So this is what we have. If you're dying of thirst and it's all about you, you're going to come upon that pump. You're going to hear about that water under the white rock. You're going to lift it up and you're going to drink it down and say, forget everyone behind me. That's a life of self-indulgence and you have no concern over a testimony or people coming after you. Our life of faith is lived in such a way that generations behind us will be able to testify of the faithfulness of God. And what you have here is basically a group of people who have put their name on that sign, on that pump. And as we go through that, remember we have, in the passage we have Abel, offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it being dead still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. And then last week, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob the heirs with him of the same promise for he waited for the city which foundations whose builder and maker is God and then tonight by faith by faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age meaning she was well beyond childbearing years because she judged him faithful who had promised therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky and multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So we're going to study Sarah tonight. In addition to studying Sarah, we're also going to study Abraham. I said it was a two-part series on Abraham, so we're going to do a two-part series on Abraham, the second part, and we're going to add Sarah in as well. And for the ladies who feel like we should just dedicate to Sarah, it really is dedicated to Sarah. We're just going to have to throw him in to show how important Sarah was. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, would you bless our time in your word as we take a look at Sarah's life and having seen Abraham's. Now, Lord, we, we see this woman that the scriptures speak of, whose daughters you are. And Lord, what a precious woman calling Abraham Lord. And God, when we take a look at her life, I pray that we would be encouraged and challenged and blessed. And so, Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth and bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sarah interesting lady it begins and says by faith sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed she received strength because the scripture points out that she's well beyond childbearing years and the way it describes it is the their age had taken its toll on them uh they felt every bit of their age and when we go through the scriptures the first time that god says your descendants will be as numerous as the stars of the sky and gives this promise to abraham sarah's 65 years old she goes on to live to be over 125 years of age so she's really at midlife at, at 65 wouldn't that be nice uh, just thought i'd throw that out nobody laughed 
And at 65, she was still stunning. Uh, she was an amazing beauty. We're going to see that she goes down to Egypt uh, after they get into the land of Canaan. There's a drought in the land. They go down to Egypt. And when they go down, Pharaoh is enamored with Sarah, wants to marry her. Uh, they were, they, the, the Egyptians did not believe in adultery. Um, Abraham understood that the Egyptians didn't believe in adultery. And so he turned to Sarah uh, after this man of faith called by God out of her of Chaldees and, you know, takes his wife, and, and as we studied last week, God told him to leave his family and his, his land, and he took his father with him, and he took his, his nephew Lot, and he disobeys the Lord, but God just sees Abraham in his righteousness, not in Abraham's failure, but in what he did in obedience to God. But when he gets to Canaan, there's a drought in the land, and he says, let's go down to Egypt. Sarah follows him, goes down to Egypt, and just before they get to the borders of Egypt, and we're going to see this momentarily, just before they get to the borders of Egypt, he turns to his wife and he says, tell them that you're my sister. Now, it's true because she is his half-sister. They had the same father but different mothers. They were from Arkansas. No, I'm not. Anyone from Arkansas? Because I insult you every week. I don't know any other state to use other than that. West Virginia, maybe, but I, I don't know. Arkansas is better. Uh, yeah, we've got to add that part. And, and so she says, tell him that you're, tell them you're my sister. Now, um, for Sarah, and we've studied this before, for Sarah, it's the truth. I, I am his sister. For Abraham, it's a lie. Because what is the point of him telling Sarah to tell them that she is his sister he seeks to deceive so a half truth is a whole lie right sarah doesn't seek to deceive she's in obedience to her husband i can honor that but if they ask me if i'm your wife i will tell them yes that doesn't say that in the scripture but she is committed to being truthful and she obeys her husband to say i'm i am his sister which is true as a result if if they hadn't have done that according to Abraham and according to custom, uh, Pharaoh doesn't believe in adultery. So what he would do is kill Sarah's husband and then marry her because she's a hottie and he wants her. And uh, Abraham understands that. And he's thinking we can avoid all this. And so what happens is Abraham tries to negotiate um, for Sarah's hand in marriage. And still Abraham is alive because of the deception and he's hoping to get some sort of sustenance and some food and have a chance to make some money before they get out of Dodge before the marriage occurs. And Pharaoh sees uh, Abraham and Sarah mm, engaged more than a brother and a sister would. <laughs> Odd. Uh, if you were Pharaoh, you go, wait a minute, <laughs> that makes sense. It looks like they're playing tonsil hockey. Uh, just <laughs> amateur. Where were we? I thought you'd catch that. That was funny. And it really was. And none of you laughed and I'm uncomfortable again so they find this out and the plague obviously falls upon Pharaoh and his his family and it's burdensome and troublesome and Pharaoh is irritated and kicks him out and basically kicks him out and and he has all the camels and he has all the donkeys he has all the resplendent gifts that Pharaoh had given trying to win Sarah's hand in marriage he doesn't want him back he just wants Abraham out of his country and, and really, one of the things that impresses me is Sarah was beautiful, even though she was older. She was stunning. She was prettier than all of the Egyptian women that she would turn the head of Pharaoh. And, and one of the things that I, I see in regards to this is it's one thing to have beauty on the outside, but it's fading. And, and the Egyptians understood makeup, and they, they understood beauty, and they understood, you know, milk baths and honey baths, and, you know, and they, they knew how to paint the barn and make it look good. But, but in relation, to, that was... Yeah, this is going off like a lead balloon tonight. <clears throat> but, but the one thing that Sarah possessed that, that, that all the women in the room possess who profess Christ is not only did she have an external beauty, she had an inward beauty that was radiant in her external beauty. Uh, the, the quiet gentleness of, of, of her being and, and, and her submissiveness and her tenderness. And it was, the scripture says, the outward adorning of the hair and the fine jewelry, but she had something even more precious. And let me read this to you because... God, in his, all of his wisdom, had uh, Peter write this down in re regards to Sarah. So we know of Sarah, and this is what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3. I'll read it to you. Verse 1 says, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. 
when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Fear is respect, not scared to death because he's going to beat me. It's, a, it's this idea of reverence, acknowledging that, you know, God has placed you in this realm and, and I'm here to, you know, it's, it's, it's mutual submission, submitting to one another in the fear of God. But a follower is no better than his, than his a leader is no better than his followers and followers no better than their leader. And so it's a mutual submission. The Bible says submitting to one another in the fear of God. And a wife doesn't submit to her husband because she has to. She submits to her husband because she wants to. And the interesting thing is is she's not submitting to him because he's perfect. She's submitting to the Lord who is perfect, who's asking her to submit to an imperfect man. And through that, God is going to use it as Peter writes here. He says that you'll win them without a word, but by the conduct of, of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by respect. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. It's not just precious, it's very precious. He adds that. It's not just precious, it's very precious. Where? In the sight of God. And then he gives an example. He says, For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and not afraid with any terror. You're trusting the Lord, and the Lord is telling you to trust your husband. Now, that's difficult. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know, for a weak man, we love to use that passage of wives, submit to your husbands. I will tell you, a pathetic man is a man who says to his wife, wife, submit. You are weak. Because for you, you're demanding something that you haven't garnered. And if your wife is struggling, you haven't gone to the Lord to say in mutual submission, God, would you move on her heart? You're putting your thumb down. You're, 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 you're the hammer. And to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Wife, submit. Shut up. Do as you're told and like it. If I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. You're, you're not a man. You're a mess. You're a mess. And who wants to live under that? It's mutual submission. God is commending her, not demanding that you demand of her. This is a relationship. Let me just ask you, has God ever said to you, submit? Has he ever hit you over the head? Has he ever brutalized you? Has he ever ridiculed you, demeaned you? The answer is a resounding no. The submission is, is, is one of those things that's between her and the Lord. If she's struggling as, as men struggle, and, and, and wives, let me speak to you. You stink at being the Holy Spirit. Uh, most men, when told to do something, will do the exact opposite. It's pride. It's the way we're wired. And when a woman tries to tell a man that he needs to do this, there's a struggle. The greater power is what Sarah applied. I'll keep moving and put this before the Lord. And his problem is between him and the Lord. And a powerful woman is a woman who speaks to God about her husband. Because God will take you, not to beat you, but he will bring you to the end of yourself. He will allow the consequences of your actions to bring you to a place where you have no one to blame but yourself. And then you'll realize as the head of the house, you'll realize as a, as a leader, as the one who's supposed to be the thermostat, not the thermometer, but the thermostat that sets the spiritual temperature of the home, you'll look and realize I'm responsible for the chaos in this home because of my lack of bathing my wife in the water of the word and raising my children in the love and the admonition of God, not by word, but by deed. And a wife, instead of nagging her husband, and, and you know, there are times where you're going to call. I, you know, I remember one time I told my wife, and I was, we were in our very first house, and the phone rang, and I was a, uh, I was a salesman or a, an area manager, I don't remember. And I, I, was, I didn't want to take the call, and I knew who it was. And I, the phone rang, and I said, honey, you get it. She answered, and I said, tell him I'm out. And she goes, I'm, I'm not going to lie for you. So I just kind of stepped out the door and said, well, tell him I stepped out, you know. <laughs> She wouldn't do it. She says, he's right here. Let me get him. I'm like, oh, woman. 
And she was, she was not going to participate in the sin. Wives, God isn't asking you to submit to your husband unto sin. You don't, you don't have any responsibility to participate in deception. You don't have any, any responsibility to participate in any of that. You don't have to, you don't have to stay in a house with, with an abusive husband. Bible says it's better to live on the corner of a rooftop than in a home with a contentious wife, but you can say spouse. And then Solomon goes on to say it's better to live in the wilderness. Just, just, just separation until they realize they, they're tired of being lonely and they have to do business with God. Leave them with God and then come back when it's more mutual and understandable and you can dwell with each other with understanding and mutual submission to God. And and here the scripture speaks of Sarah and it says, for in this manner in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. She called him Lord. She called him Lord. And I find that fascinating because we're gonna take a quick run through with this guy, Abraham. And we wanna see if he's worthy of being called Lord. Um. Take a look at Genesis 12, if you would. Genesis chapter 12. I just want to make sure I'm in order here. Yeah, perfect. Okay. I'm going to read through this. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, and his brother, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land of the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants, I give you this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountains east of Bethel and pitched a tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And by the way, Bethel means house of God. Ai means ruin. So he pitches a tent in between the house of God and ruin. He's on the fence. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed going still toward the south, parallel to the Ai and Bethel, still on the fence. Now there was a famine in the land. Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there. Did God say go there? Let's read that again. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt. What did God say? Go to Canaan. He's in Egypt. God didn't tell him to go to Egypt. Stop for a moment. Did God appear to Sarah or did God appear to Abraham or Abram? Appeared to Abram. So Abram gets the vision, tells his wife. What was the vision, dear? He recounts, he recites it. The Lord said to get out of my country, from my family, from my father's house, to a land I'll show you, make me a great nation, and, and, and we blessing, and those who bless us will be blessed, and those who curse us will be cursed, and all the families will be blessed. God spoke to me, let's go, baby. Okay. God appeared to you. She doesn't get the vision. Abram gets the vision. She obeys the vision. Leave the family. Okay. Bye, mom. Bye, dad. Bye, sisters. You know, bye, brother-in-laws. Bye, kisses, hugs. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. He's a pagan. Now he's monotheistic, worshiping. Comes out of Herb Chaldees. We find out about Terah and, and all that. They were all pagans. The whole land was pagan. Abram has this change. He's following the Lord. And Sarah does everything the scriptures ask. And what does Abram do? He brings his father and he brings his nephew brings his possessions and he travels and the possession is some some idea of 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 maybe even some of the idol aspects of Ur of Chaldees and he goes between Ai and Bethel and she's thinking wait a minute honey didn't you say didn't didn't you say we're leaving our family your dad I mean I I I love pops but um you were I honey you just we're going I don't, I don't know how, I don't, I don't know how fair that is. I mean, my dad's still there, and I'm, I'm gonna miss him. And you're older, and he's old. He's not even gonna be around. My folks are. There's lots of. There are no flights direct to the Ur of Chaldees, and I don't even know where Canaan is. <laughs> and your lot nephew, he's such a. Anyways, but why? Nowhere does it say that, and they go. 
and they have to get to Haran and wait for dad to die. And she's the one feeding him pudding. And he dies and Lot still continues. And they get up there and we're here, we're in Canaan. And it is desolate. Black crows flying everywhere, no food, no rain, winds blowing. It's like, honey, we are going to leave Santa Barbara and go to the Dust Bowl in Oklahoma. We're going to leave Santa Barbara, as I've said before, and go to Lancaster. You know, it's like, oh, gosh, it's okay. It's just, ah. And they get there. And the Lord said, this is where we're coming. We're going to Bethel and Ai, and we're going to build an altar. And they worship the Lord and watches the blood go down in the crevice and everything. And, and 65 years of age, and she's looking at this, and she's just thinking, what? Nobody to talk to, nothing to do, desolate. And he looks around, and like most men, they're going to help out God. You know, and, and I, I'm a self-made man, and there's an issue here, and we can't get crops going. There's no water. We're going to Egypt. Now she probably, you know, did did the Lord speak to you again? Was there a vision? Did, did... no? We're going to Egypt. I didn't hear anything, but we're not dying here. I don't know what God's thinking. We gotta go, woman. We gotta go. We're gonna take a mortgage out of the house. We're gonna do a second. We're gonna build this. And we're gonna run the credit cards, and this is just what we gotta do. But this it's kids' college education money, woman. Uh, my bad. I'll just. We'll just, okay, let's go to Egypt. And there's famine in the land. Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there. Famine was severe in the land. It came to pass. He was close to entering Egypt. He says to Sarai, his wife, indeed, I know that you're a woman of beautiful countenance. Verse 12, therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see that they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me and they will let you live. Please say you are my sister that it may be well with me for your sake, your sake, not mine. <laughs> I'm not afraid to die. I'm just worried that, you know, you're that I may live because of you. I may, it's for you, but that I may live because I am a, I'm God's gift to you. I am your protector. So I need you to just hold to the deception, woman. Quite a character in the hall of faith here, isn't he? So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very, not just beautiful, very beautiful. She was a hottie. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. The princes were like, man, we touch this woman. We're in trouble. She is like Pharaoh material. Okay, just laying it out there. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep and oxen, male donkeys, male, female servants, female donkeys, camels, female servants, female servants, Hagar, female servants, female servants, Hagar. There we go. That's where Hagar came from. Abraham's the responsibility for it. Anyways, Basically, what he's giving them is servants, and if you talk about sheep and oxen and male donkeys and female donkeys and camels, camels. I, I just got a text from Brad Cummings. He's over in, uh, he was in Petra, and then he was up at Mount Nebo and overlooking where Moses entered into the, you know, saw the promised land, never entered in. And and he said, I, my wife wrote, wrote a camel today, and I go, they're the coolest creatures. And, and I remember when we were in Egypt uh, looking at the pyramids, my oldest daughter come with us and one of the guys had a bunch of camels came up and literally wanted to give me camels for my I think she was 14 15 years old yeah I'm like no <laughs> ain't gonna happen he'd be in the cafe in Israel with a vest on her boom no it's not gonna happen and, and uh, that's probably take that out of the that won't go on the radio and and and, and they offered me camels because Camels are like the Ferrari of their day. You, you, you conquered lands with camels. They could go great distances. Just do a study on camels. Very valuable beasts. Unbelievable. He gets not just female donkeys and female servants and male servants and male donkeys and oxen sheep and camels. I mean, he's got it all. He just, he just raked in a bounty because of her beauty and all of this. And it's playing right into his finagling. But... Verse 17, the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And God's saying, Abram, you think you're smarter than me, buddy? Watch this. And pox start appearing and they're itching and, you know, and he's got wounds and sores and oozing. And they're like, what in the world is going on? And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? He gets it. Plagues happen when we're outside the will of whoever we call the supreme being to be. And you're responsible. It was fine until you got here. What do you, why, why did you not tell me that she was your wife? He figures it out. God reveals it to him. I'm not sure. Why did you say she's my sister? I might've taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. 
the, the pagan was more moral than the, the believer. I've told you this, I, being convicted by a pagan, my dad convicted me when I came to him and I said, my girlfriend's pregnant, we're gonna get married. It's not Michelle, it was another gal and it wasn't my baby, it was a long story. But anyways, my dad said, you know, have her get an abortion. And I said, dad, I can't do that. It's against what I believe in. And my dad said, look where your beliefs have gotten you so far. And really he just convicted me of my failure. And I did look at him and I said, dad, you're right. That was my mistake, not God's. I'm not gonna follow it up with another mistake. And he said, you know, you marry her, give birth to that child, you'll never step foot in the house again. And I left. And, and that the Lord used that in my family's life and it was profound in a lot of ways and God worked it. But, but I, I get it. Imagine Pharaoh just going, why do I have to call you to account? I've never seen a woman as beautiful. There's something special about your wife. You, on the other hand, I knew I was dealing with a finagler, but your wife, there's just something precious about her, the, the, the ways that she carries herself and, and her countenance. And it's not just the outward adornment. I've got jewelry in Egypt. There's something profound about your wife. And the part that irritates me is she's your wife. She's not your sister. You lied to me. Get out of my country. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him and they sent him away with his wife. And check this out. And all that he had, keep it, keep it. I've got plenty. I was hoping for something different. Could you imagine if Abram had been faithful? Probably all of Egypt would be converted. No. Well, it gets worse. Go over to chapter 15. God had given Abraham this vision and this blessing, and here he is, he's old, and he's promised that he's going to have children and descendants as numerous as stars in the sky, and Sarah's fallen them all over kingdom come, and they're humiliated. Imagine, as, as check this out. Leaving Egypt and utter humiliation and you know Sarah's like my husband doesn't have a spine he's a liar he's deceptive he humiliated me all I've wanted to do is serve the Lord I've honored this man and we're leaving Egypt it's not like you're leaving a town where you've been humiliated you've been humiliated in the entirety of the country the, the leader of the largest nation on the face of the earth has, has declared that you are an anathema on the face of the earth. Just go. And she's walking out in complete humiliation with her husband, whom she hasn't left, and all their belongings. And every time the camel makes a noise and the donkeys bay and the... She's reminded that all of these things are more important to you than me. Your career is more important. Your wealth is more important. Your security is more important. You got everything you wanted. I'm still with you and I'm invisible. And I got to tell you, if I was Sarah and some of you ladies, you'd probably do the same thing. I would turn and go, you spineless, pathetic loser. What, what What a miserable man you are. You are worthless and weak. You can't even stand up for me. You, you wouldn't even defend me. You're more concerned about camels and donkeys and servants than you are with me. Oh, big man of God, leaves her of childies. I left my family. You didn't. We get to Canaan. You don't even hear from the Lord. We come down and get humiliated in Egypt. Now we're walking out. You get to keep everything and you still won't stand for me. Let me remind you of First Peter chapter 3. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment merely be outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. Here we go, verse 4. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. You know what made her so rocking and amazing that Peter would put this in his epistle she was quiet but she was loud she's not saying a word to demean and annihilate her husband but she's talking to God about him Lord you gotta break this man cause he is a, I, I, and I, I just don't even know where to begin I don't even want to look at him I'm just telling you that he is irritating and she's just pouring out her heart to the Lord. Lord, break him. Bring him to the end of himself. Your word says that sin is pleasurable for a season. This season has got to stop. 
And she's laying it out as she's walking. Nowhere is she whining and complaining. And, 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 and I, I shared this story with you. I love it. It's one of the most profound in my life. Michelle, when we were dirt poor and we're living in a windowless apartment in Calvary Chapel, San Jose, San Jose in a converted office structure. There's no exterior windows. Awful place to live, out of money. I'm working ungodly hours. It, it was terrible. And Don McClure starved everyone to death. He was a sweet man and I needed to be starved and I'm, I'm not resentful. He blessed me. Everything I learned in ministry, seriously, I give him credit. It was exactly what I needed. I came home after a full day. I've got a few hours before I have to go out and do editing for the radio broadcast. It takes me till two in the morning. I get a couple hours sleep and we start the day over again. And it's just this Groundhog's Day nightmare. And I come in and the girls are asleep and, and they're in their room and Michelle's been at home with them all day. We have no money. We're eating second harvest food that we get from the food bank. It's stale bread, moldy. She's so sweet. She's cutting the mold off and making, she's making it work, you know? And I sit down in this, couch that somebody donated that's leaning it's in a tv that you have to move the ears to get the one station because there's no reception in this bunker and and i'm flicking the channels that don't exist and i'm just mindless and she says honey the girls wanted to see you before they go to bed they wanted you to tuck them in i go i'm not gonna tuck them in tonight i'm tired just i don't want to i don't want to do it get it and uh, she says they, they really want I, I'm not, I don't want to do it tonight I don't want to do it the hand I don't want to do it tonight and Kelly tough as nails she comes out daddy will you, will you tuck us in not tonight go back to your bed daddy's not coming in tonight she comes back in daddy I said not tonight she didn't take no for an answer. She's, it's a gift and also an irritation. She comes back in a third time and said, Daddy, please. I said, not tonight. Go to your room. Michelle's sitting next to me. I didn't even want her near me. I didn't even want her touching me because I was done giving out. I didn't have anything to give. And she just nudges me. I'm like, What? What? At that moment, she could have played. I saw Sarah. This scripture came home to me. At that moment, Michelle could have turned to me and said, don't yell at me. Mr. Provider. Leaving a good job to go into the ministry where we had a house and a company car. I, I was raised in Los Gatos. I could have married one of the Hiltons. I ended up with you. And some provider you are, our car now has over 220,000 miles. And we're trying to hold that thing together. We don't have two nickels to rub together. And I'm scraping mold off the bread and we don't get any television stations. And when the people upstairs do their, their dishes, it ends up in our laundry. And I'm here all day with the kids and you're nowhere to be found and you give to everyone but us. And you can't go in and love your kids. And she would have been completely right. And she could have just hit me over the head and cut my legs out from underneath me. She could have brutalized me. Instead, she says, honey, they just miss you like I do. And then she did something that really irritates me. I could tell she was praying. And giving it to the Lord. He gave me a Holy Spirit head slap and all tenderness. And I was convicted by it. And I turned to her and I said, I'm sorry. I got up and I went in. I loved on the girls and tucked them in. I'd like to say that I never did that again. But she made me a better man instead of destroying me. Do you know already I would have agreed with her? Because I wasn't happy being who I was and being where I was. And everything she said I would have agreed with and I was ready to quit. But she made me want to be a better man. That's Sarah. With a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious, very precious in the sight of the Lord. Sarah didn't whine and complain going back to Bethel. She gave it to the Lord, though. And 
This vision in chapter 15 comes to Abraham and he just finally gets to a place where he said, you promised descendants. You know, a lot of time has passed. Between the promise and the delivery was 11 years. And, and he says, you know, the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, I'm your shield. You're exceedingly great reward. Abraham said, Lord God, will you give me, what will you give me seeing I go childless in the air of my house as Eliezer of Damascus? This is chapter 15, verse three. Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. I, I gotta give it to my manservant. I don't have any heirs. You said my descendants would be as numerous as stars in the sky, sand as the sea. I got nothing. And he's having a battle with God, as I had a battle with God. I left to come into ministry, and this is how you treat people who care about you? This is how you treat your friends? You treat your enemies better than your friends, God. And that's not how the Lord works. That's our perception. The reality is God's saying, Rob, I'm taking all of you out of yourself so I can pour in all of me, and we got a long way to go. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, which is always how God speaks. And this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven, count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord. And one of the most powerful verses in the scripture, uh, Genesis chapter 15, verse six, it's quoted in Romans. This is profound, pay attention. He believed in the Lord and God accounted it to him for righteousness. You're not saved by your works. You're saved by faith, grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He believed God. God credited him as righteousness. He believed in this. He trusted the Lord. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. He said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat. He goes on and on and on. He says, cut him in half. You're going to cut a covenant. Cutting a covenant means you take an animal, you cut it in half, you put the one piece here and one piece here, and the blood spills in the middle. And as it spills in the middle, you hold the hand of the man you're going into business with and you walk through the blood together. And what you're saying is a contractual agreement. If either of us breaks this contractual agreement, may this happen to us as we get blood on our feet. May this happen to you. If you break it, may it happen to me if I break it. He, he understand that. So he knows he's cutting a covenant. He cuts him in half. He lays the pieces out, waiting for God to show up to cut the covenant. And he's blowing away the vultures that are coming down like, get away, get away. I'm cutting a covenant with the Lord. People are coming along. What do you do? Who, you going into business with me? I am the Lord. What? Woohoo, wacko. Where's the Lord? Oh, Abraham's going to go in covenant with God. Something he needs to go to Happy Dale. And he's out there, go away. I'm waiting for the Lord. We're going to do this. And the buzzards come and night falls and he falls asleep in exhaustion. And that's us. We're trying to work out our salvation and we're trying to make it happen. And we're going to do, and I'm going in agreement with God. And then God's going to get a good deal because I'm not going to let him down. Yes, you are. And so am I. And finally, in our fleshly effort to try to keep the buzzards off, he falls asleep. And then this fire pot passes between the pieces. And God is basically saying, Abraham, I'm the only one who's going to be able to keep this promise. You just rest. Rest in me, and I'll take it from here. And God cuts a covenant and gives him the vision of what will happen. Go to Genesis 16. We've got 22 minutes. Genesis 16, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, see now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. Abraham heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid. The Egyptian gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan, so he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me, Mr. Funny Pants. And so Abram said to Sarai, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur and he said Hagar <clears throat> Sarai's maid still calls her by her title where have you come from and where are you going what's your life about woman you know we would like to make Hagar a, a, a bit character in the story but she's just as important to God as Sarai is as all of you are she may not be the main character in the text, but precious to the Lord. He's especially fond of her. I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. 
The angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child. You shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because he, uh, the Lord has heard your affliction. He will be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man. By the way, these are Muslims today and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And then you shall call, uh, then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, have I also seen here seen him who sees me therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roy uh, observe it is between Kadesh and Bered so Hagar bore Abram a son Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram alright uh, let's take a look at one thing before we conclude with chapter 18 let's look at this one First Peter chapter 3 I read to you about this amazing woman, Sarah. In former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid of any terror. And then the passage says this, and Peter writes this. Ready? Ladies, pay attention. Men, pay great attention. Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. When we studied understanding, gain understanding. Proverbs say gain understanding, gain understanding. Understand your wives. I don't know about you. I understand men. I, I get them. Guy gets a haircut, you go, uh, uh, uh. we communicated volumes in those grunts. Very simple communication direct and to the point. Men communicate at the highest level humanly possible. We speak in facts with clarity. I'm insulting half the room, probably the men. No, I'm kidding. Women don't always speak that way. And I know generalizations, but the reality is laughter comes because generalizations are true. Ready? I've said this oftentimes. Do women ever say one thing and mean something else? Is that a generalization or a truth? How about this one? Does this dress look make me look fat? Men are paralyzed by that. <laughs> the story with Honest Abe. Well, yes, honey, it does quite as no, it's no, you know, not, no. Why did you hesitate? You hesitated. Why did you pause? What is she saying? We've learned this if you've been married long enough. What is she saying? Tell me I'm beautiful. Anyone? Tell me I'm beautiful. She's giving you an opportunity. You should have known. I've told you this one before. I love the comedian. He, you know, your wife comes into the room. She sees your underwear on the floor. Are these yours? What she's saying is, pick up your underwear. Totally different approach, though. Are these yours? Yes. Well, let's discuss. How did they end up here? You know? Well, when I was a bachelor, I had a pack of six underwear and five on the floor, two in the drawer. That's or, the one in the drawer. I knew how many I had, and this is how I keep track of them. <laughs> or the response of the husband is, are these yours? And the husband says, well, I hope so. If they're not, we're going to have a problem here, woman. I mean, <laughs> why are somebody else's underwear on the floor? Of course they're mine. It, it's, it, it is baffling. Why the riddle? Do you want me to pick up my underwear? Say, pick up your underwear. I will pick them up. Yes, but I want you to appreciate the fact that I pick them up every day and that it's irritating I get that. I'll pick them up. Then we'll have that conversation. Just tell me that. But you don't listen. She's giggling because she lives with me. All right. We just read the passage. Sarah says to Abraham, Abram, I remember the promise and the fire pot that passed through the pieces and the descendants as numerous as stars in the sky. And we did all these things. And I'm now way past 65 and I'm getting to the point where this is ridiculous 
everyone's laughing at me. Not only can I not bear female children, I can't bear, I can't bear, male, bear male children, let alone female. I'm, I'm barren. I'm the laughing stock because you went around to tell everybody you're cutting a covenant. You've told everyone we're going to have descendants. I'm completely humiliated. And you know what? At this stage in my life, if we're going to get this thing done, I've seen the way you look at Hagar. You might as well just go in and be with her. Just marry her and bear children with her, which is acceptable in this culture. Just sleep with her. And the scripture says, Abraham heeded the voice of Hagar. Big mistake. Listen to God. God, what did God say? He told him. It's not going to be Eleazar. It's not going to be from someone. It's going to be from, from you. But he heeds the voice of his wife, Sarai, excuse me, and goes in and sleeps with Hagar. And as you know, there, is there any woman in this room that would want her husband to sleep with another man? No. She didn't want that the last thing she wanted what was she saying tell me you love me remind me of the promises and the scripture says husbands ephesians 5 husbands love your wives just as christ also loved the church and gave himself to her that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word remind me of god's word again that it's me and that you find me beautiful and valuable and that i'm part of this and we're doing it together hagar yeah let's do that i Okay, okay, you know, it's a good idea. I mean, uh, but I, I can see how God would work in this capacity. I'm, I'm brilliant, honey, brilliant. And as they go off together, she's like, what an idiot. And they're in the tent with a noise or whatever happened. I don't know, tents aren't thick. She hears it, she's weeping in the other. And then, you know, the pregnancy takes root and she's coming out rubbing her belly going, I got your husband's baby, Right? And, and Sarah's like, you did this. This be upon you. And Abram doesn't go, what? You told me to sleep with her. No, Abram's getting smarter. He's realizing you're right. It is upon me. I knew what you wanted, but I knew what I wanted. I got what I wanted. And now we got what we don't want. A problem. This be upon you. I told you to sleep with her, but that's not what I meant. I know. And he goes, look, honey, whatever you want. Kick her out. Just get her out of here. I don't want to see her ever again. And off she goes. Well, here's a problem. The problem is, yeah, it's Abraham's problem, but Sarah's part of the problem. She may have said one thing wanting something else, but she wasn't willing to stop it either. And so she's in on it also, and she wants to place all the blame on Hagar and makes her miserable and granted this pagan woman rubbing her belly there's there's no attempt to try to reconcile and own up to her part of it and god's not going to let your problem skate off and go die in the wilderness he brings it right back with the angel of the lord the god who sees me sarah you got to process this you know when when that story i'd share with you about my girlfriend being pregnant she was actually my fiance gave birth to the child it ended up not being my child. It was our, our college ministers who was married and had three kids. It was his child. Blood test proved it not once but twice. And that was an interesting story because he and his wife had already, he, he was, she was a Christian. He wasn't. They got pregnant in high school. He went off to college and left her and she gave birth to that baby all by herself and he never gave her time. He came, comes to Christ in college, comes back, asks for forgiveness. They reconcile, have two more children together and then he commits adultery on her. And this girl's pregnant. And his wife, Kay, is like Sarah. I'm like, dropkick that guy. And you know what? He had insights and screams. He was a sweet man. His mother died. He had all kinds of, he struggled. Kay loved him. Kay said, we'll figure this out. And the, the, the girl who was pregnant, Tina, gave birth to a girl whose name was Tara. I, I, Tara connected with me on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook anymore, but I said, I don't know if you know who I am, but I prayed for you before. She goes, I know the whole story my mom told me. And she's doing ministry, and Tina is walking with the Lord. And what's amazing is Stephen Kay helped raise Tara. And they worked through that. They didn't kick him into the wilderness and say, be gone. And it was all Kay's doing. God's interested in everybody. 
And the mess we make, we still are responsible for. And this is a huge portion of Sarah's faith that we've seen in what we've read. Let's conclude tonight with the last few minutes, chapter 18. Turn with me if you would. Uh, Where's my passage of scripture? Yeah, here we go. Let me just read this to you before we get to chapter 18. By faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him, as good as dead, were born many as the stars of the sky and multitude innumerable as the sand which is in the sh- by the seashore. But remember this, she received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because, here's why, because she judged God faithful who had promised. Now, God had given this promise long ago. She went through the manipulation just like Abraham had gone through the manipulation. They all failed. And God is putting her in the hall of faith as having, as the scripture says, judging God faithful who had promised. Let me help you with something and pay attention. God has given us a multitude of promises in his word. And some of you right now are in the 11-year period between the promise and the fulfillment of it, and you're wondering what's going to happen. And you've gone through every manipulative deal and you're discouraged and you've made a mess and you got Hagar's in your life. You got a whole train wreck. And the whole process is God wants to get your attention. It's never been about the promise. It's been about the one who gives the promise. Do you trust me? I don't see how you can do it. It's not... When you're trusting God, how is not the issue? When you're trusting God, how is not the issue? Do you have a sickness tonight? Do you have a financial concern? When you trust God, how is not the issue? Amen, David? Amen? How is not the issue? What stands in the way of you trusting God? And quit trying to take it into your own hands. I'll close with this because this is a woman in the hall of faith and she's put her name on that white sign on the pump. And she's telling you tonight with all of her frailties and failures and testifies that she has judged God faithful who has promised. And she didn't do it right, but in the end, she got it right. Genesis 18 Verse one, the Lord appeared to Abram by the terebinth trees of Mamre and he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes, looked and behold, three men were standing by him. When he saw them, he ran to the tent door to meet them, bowed himself to the ground and said, my Lord, if I have found now favor in your sight, do not pass by on, your, uh, on, on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. And after that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. And they said, do as, you, do as you have said. So Abram hurried into the tent of Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender, uh, tender and good calf, gave it to the young man and hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf, which he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the terebinth tree. By the way, this is the first time hospitality is revealed and Sarah was hospitable. And, and the scripture says, if you want to be in ministry, pay attention. If you want to be in ministry, pay attention. I will not ordain any man who is not hospitable, nor is his wife. Hospitality means you give because you're going to receive in the congregation. You're not going to, don't become accustomed to always receiving. You make sure your house is always open to giving. You come into my house, you will always be fed, you will always be loved on, you will always be greeted, and you will always be cared for. And I tell you, we have been put to the test. We didn't have two nickels to rub together. People would say to me, we always thought you were super rich because you always had the best of food. That was our, our food bill for the month, and this is the first of the month. But God always provided. And if you're stingy, that's not ministry. God's people are hospitable. They give. They give. And you go over to someone's house, well, we have the rose. It's got to last us through the whole week, but if you want another piece, I guess I could cut it. <laughs> Chew it and enjoy it, because we won't be able to. <laughs> that's not hospitality. That's irritation. Sarah goes all out 
sets it up. And you know what? I've come home at times with my wife. I say, hey, I brought home. And I can see in her face, she's not thrilled by it, but she turns too. And she's not going to let my failure to be considerate get in the way of the kindness to the people that have come. They're already going to feel uncomfortable because of my poor invitation and not preparing my wife. And there are times where we quickly do that. But hospitality means it's not about you and me. We'll deal with that later. Let's help the people present. What does the scripture say? Put on Christ. We'll save the argument for later. Let's take care of the people. Amen? So they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, uh, so he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to this time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. (laughs) Now Sarah is busy and I'm going to prepare the butter and we're going to do the milk and I've got to get the calf all set and we're going to get the cakes baked and she's listening through the tent. Eavesdropping. Nobody ever does that, right? Sarah's listening in. Who are these people? Why are they here? Because she wants to know what's going on. She's out in the middle of nowhere. We have guests. What's going on in the big city? She wants to hear. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abram and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, which is basically saying they had no, they were feeling every day of their age. They hurt in places they never knew they had. They're hurting. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. There isn't a, a gynecologist in all of Canaan or anywhere that would say, you're going to be able to have a child. She's done. It's over. It's not happening. And everyone looked at her. <laughs> long, long ago. You're, mm-hmm. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself. Just kind of a little. <laughs> within herself. No one even heard it. <laughs> what does that mean? She's listening. And this is the funny one. After I've grown old, shall I have the pleasure of my Lord? Uh, shall I have pleasure of my Lord being old also? Even if I could have kids, he can't get the job done. <laughs> Just being graphic there, sharing with you. And the Lord said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? And interestingly enough, um, is anything too hard for the Lord, Right? When God's in control, how is not the issue. At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. And look at this. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. I'll leave you with this in the last two minutes. I think the reason why she lied and didn't confess to it and own up to it, this is a woman who's been dealing with being self-conscious about her condition for close to a hundred years. She has been waiting for this. She's, she's finally looking at it and saying, I've been through this story and now at this stage, you're gonna fulfill this promise. Are you kidding me? It ain't gonna happen. And yet Hebrews 11 says that she trusted in God. I don't know about you, but I'm reading the text and it doesn't strike me that trust Anyone? Let's remember this. God is merciful and gracious, and he casts our sin as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. God didn't lie in Hebrews 11. He only sees us in his son's righteousness. And all of our failures dissipated and cast as far as the east is from the west, and all God sees is Sarah acknowledged, trusted, and Isaac was born. And you know what the word Isaac means? God did this. We're going to name him Isaac because his name means laughter. And you will never forget when you giggled. Don't you lie to God. And I'll leave you with this. When you're honest with God, he's merciful with you. You don't lie to him. He's there. It's not about how it's going to get done. It's who's doing it. And sometimes the loneliest place, and, and I, I love this quote, and I had James write it down. When you're going through a trial in your life, there's a lot of competing voices. I, I was talking to David Lane back here, he, going through back pain, L4, L5, I had, and I, this might be a little higher. And, I, and, and, and somebody, you know, in the congregation is diagnosed with cancer, and somebody, and the minute you're diagnosed or you're going through an ailment, everybody in the church has a remedy. 
you need to do alternative. No, what you got to do is you know, this. And no, no, you got to do no, no, what, no. And this, no. And let me, and I, and, uh, and, and they are all, all well-meaning. Praise the Lord. I'm grateful for that. And David was saying, I, you have no idea how many people call me and tell me what I'm supposed to do. I go, you know, I do. I went through what you went through. But sometimes God takes you through the trial, not so much in how he's going to provide for you, but what he wants to show you about who he is. And the loneliest place to be is waiting. And one of my favorite things is Aaron's wife, Aaron Robinson's wife. You know, he was diagnosed with uh, geoblastoma, brain cancer. Zero chance of living. I leave this parking lot and I know everyone's come to him with every kind of thing and come to her. I pull out of this parking lot almost every day of the week and I see her walking with her dog and praying. It's not how God's going to do it. It's what he wants to show you while he's doing it. It's about our faith. In those trials, tune out the voices and listen to what God's telling you. That's what made Sarah so precious.